Amen. I want you to pray for me. You know, the Lord is opening up a lot of doors for our church. And a couple of weeks ago, we were contacted by uh, Charles Stanley's ministry, and they have asked us to do a piece in his magazine, In Touch. And then they gave me a deadline. You know, I love those deadlines. And um, have to have it in by the 19th. And they're going to put our article in the magazine, which goes to over a million people, and then they're going to put our book in their catalog. And so what God's gracing us with is, is this sort of a mainstreaming ministry, getting out there into uh, the, the precious uh, Baptist folks. I'll be ministering to thousands of Baptist folks. And um, then Baker Bookhouse heard about our series on friends and want me to do a book on friends. So here we go. So it's and uh, you know it's it's good because our our church is reaching the country. We're not just located here, but we're reaching out, and God will only bless. You know the Dead Sea is dead because water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. And a lot of congregations are dead because water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. God wants us flowing out. Amen. All right, turn with me to First Peter chapter two. <clears throat> In verse 9, and let's stand together to read one, word, one verse, and then you can be seated. And I'm going to continue and finish the series today, I believe, unless God shows me otherwise, on worship in full color. And I want to minister today on the spirit of praise, the call of God on the church to praise Him. Now notice what Peter says about us. But you... Now turn to the person to your right and say, that means you. And now turn to the left and say, and you. If you're saved, he's talking to you. <clears throat> but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Lord, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. Teach us, minister to us, strengthen our identity in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in his name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. You can be seated. <clears throat> I love it when God's word tells me who I am in Christ. Because that means God's Word is defining me. Now, church, trust me. Someone or something is defining you as we speak. You believe about yourself what the defining that has come into your life has told you. You can be defined negatively or you can be defined positively. You can be defined by people who don't believe in you. And you can be defined by people who have a grip and a grasp on God's call on your life and they have defined you accordingly. Let me just drop a truth your way. You will never, ever be in God what He has called you to be unless God has defined you. Prior to God making your life useful, God will first define you. That's why He called His, his disciples and said to His disciples, you are what you are today, but follow me, 
and I will make you to become fishers of men. And he defined them. And the Bible is full of defining statements about the body of Christ. And I believe that so often the body of Christ does not function as the body of Christ because we have not allowed God to define us. Listen, when you got saved, it was not so that you could come to a Sunday morning service, sing three hymns, hear three points in a poem, and go home. I want you to hear what he said now. God has given us four we are's right here in this verse. We are chosen. How many of you woke up today feeling chosen? We are Amen, Pastor Jeff, I feel real chosen. You're picked out. You're chosen. If you're a believer, you're chosen. Then he said you're a priesthood, a nation that is holy and that we uniquely belong to God. Now listen to that, chosen, a priesthood, a nation, and uniquely belonging to God. I'm going to say it one more time. We are chosen by God. We are a royal, kingly priesthood. The Bible says we are a nation that is holy, and we uniquely, uniquely belong to God. Now that's identity. That's defining. And then it tells me why I'm chosen, why I'm a priesthood, why I'm a nation, and why I'm uniquely called. Why did God speak those things over us? He says that I may declare His praises. That I may declare something. The praises of Him who reached into the black darkness of my life called me out of the darkness of sin and into His marvelous light. So we have been transferred from dark to light, from death to life, from lost to found. And God says once that happens to you, you're supposed to declare the praises of Him who did that. That's the call of God on the church. As Christians, we've been chosen to worship God and to show the world his praises, to be divine billboards, anointed advertising, displaying his love and power. We're not supposed to talk like the culture, walk like the culture, think like the culture. Out there, according to the Bible, if they are not in Christ, they're lost. And we are like candles walking into a dark world, praising him, declaring what he has done for our lives. Now, I want to take a brief sweep through Bible history to set up what I want to say today. When we scan the Scriptures, we find that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God unveiled a plan. God had and has a plan. Can you say with me, God has a plan. And He's got a plan for you. It's not just Billy Graham. It's not just the preachers. It's just not people called to professional ministry. But every single one of you as believers in Jesus Christ are chosen, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and have been chosen to declare His praises to a lost and a dying world. That's the plan. In Genesis 3.15, the first prediction of a Savior was announced to the devil by Almighty God in the ancient Garden of Eden way back when. God said, here's what I'm going to do, devil. 
I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. This plan of a redeemer who would destroy the arch enemy of mankind was even older than the world itself. I can't wrap my mind around that, but that's what the Word of God says. Because Paul wrote that God chose you and you and you and you. He chose you when? In Christ before the foundation of the world. So before God said, let there be light, before the birds flew in the air and the fishes swam in the sea, God saw you and He saw you in Christ. Mm. Can't think about it. Can't comprehend it. But that's because we're dealing with Almighty God who knows the end from the beginning of all things. God began to work out His plan of an invading planet Earth with a Savior by calling Abraham. That's when it all began. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to leave his home, leave his town, and journey to a land He would show him. And then He made a covenant with Abraham, and this covenant was the beginning of our blessing. He said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I'm going, Abraham, to make of you, and hear this church, a great nation. I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you and in you, hear this church, in you, Abraham, in your seed, in your descendants, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Wow. Now, if I was told that by God, that would crank my chain. That would get me excited. That would fill me with vision. So Abraham's call revealed even more of God's plan than Genesis 3.15. He intended to raise up an entire nation from Abraham's offspring. An entire nation. Now later, God revealed to Moses the purpose of this nation from Abraham's offspring. Not only would the Messiah, the bruiser of Satan's head, come from Judah, one of the twelve tribes of Israel, but God also said, you're going to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, one of the functions of a priest, please understand, was to offer worship to God. That's what a priest was called to do, offer sacrifices and worship God. Keep that in your mind. Put it on the back burner. It's going to mean a lot in just a moment. Now back to Abraham. After a long and faith-testing period of time, Abraham's wife, Sarah, finally conceived at 90 years of age while Abraham was 100. It was such an incredible miracle. They named the child Isaac meaning laughter. You know, sometimes God will do something so incredible, so wonderful, so awe-inspiring that all you can do is stare at it and laugh. Have you ever had a laughing miracle where God does something where you just look and you just laugh because you know this could never have happened apart from the power of God? I think I'm writing an article for Charles Stanley's magazine. I think about that and where I came from, God saving me in a juvenile home when I was 16 years old, and I got a laugh. 
Isaac later married. Isaac, his son, laughter, later married and produced two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the son of promise and produced 12 sons of his own. These 12 sons became the fathers of what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Now keep in mind that God's promise to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, was that he would be the father of a nation. The Bible continues the story of redemption by telling us that Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, was betrayed by his own brothers, sold by his brothers as a slave into the land of Egypt. But by the unsearchable providence of God, Joseph, after numerous heartbreaking circumstances, was placed over the entire land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And the psalmist comes along and tells us it wasn't his brothers that sent him to Egypt, but it says God sent him to Egypt. And even Joseph, at the end of his days, said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good to save many people alive. He had a purpose for me. And so even though you sold me into slavery, there was a larger foot footprint involved, and it's the footprint of providence. You know, sometimes, folks, when we look at difficult circumstances in our life, we need to realize no matter what happens to the child of God, there is a larger footprint working on your behalf, and it's the providence of God. He's never checkmated by the devil. He is never outdone by the enemy of our soul. He's always in charge, and he orders the steps of his people. Can I have an amen today? Now the Bible goes on to say that because of a severe famine, his father Jacob and his 11 brothers were brought down to Egypt where they lived out the rest of their lives under Joseph's protection. And now here in Egypt, we've got the embryonic Jewish race, 12 sons and their families, the 12 grandsons of Abraham living in Egypt. Remember, God had promised Abraham a nation. In the next 400 years, the children of Israel in Egypt mushroomed into a nation of well over one million people. At the close of 400 years, God sent Moses into Egypt to deliver his people from bitter bondage and to bring them to the promised land God had promised to Abraham. So now the Abrahamic covenant is unfolding. The promise that God made to Abraham is taking place step by step, year by year. God is bringing it to pass. The Bible tells us that after ten mighty miracles, they were released from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea that was miraculously parted by God, and they entered the wilderness. Finally, the nation God had promised to Abraham was a reality. And what was God's purpose for this nation? Let's remember. He said, you will be a blessing. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. They were to be a nation of priests offering up praises to God. They were to be the dispensers of the knowledge of God to the entire world. We could say that they were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's own special people. But something was wrong with them. Instead of trusting and believing God in the wilderness, 
It says, it says, instead of trusting and believing God in the wilderness, they murmured, complained, and provoked God continually. Now, church, hear this. Instead of praising, they pouted. They whined instead of worshiped. The Bible says instead of thanks living, they practiced complaint living. How many of you know what complaint living is? I am so glad that I am not the one who sits at the complaint counter of Walmart. If you were to put two counters at Walmart, the complaint counter and the thank you counter, how many of you think the line at the complaint counter would be a whole lot longer? I think you've got to have an anointing from God, a special call to sit behind that complaint counter. I've seen the faces on those people. They are not happy, and I've seen the faces on the people that are being paid to listen to it. What a job. I wouldn't do well. Their heads would be in the shape of a frying pan if I was on the other side. It's so much easier for us to whine instead of worship, to practice complaint living instead of thanks living. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They murmured. They complained. Their tongues became shovels that dug them six feet underground. They buried themselves in the wilderness by the words of their mouth. The psalmist records they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They did not believe his wondrous works. Again and again they tempted God. And here is the most painful part of this passage. And they limited, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the activity of God. They did not enjoy everything God wanted to do for them because they lived in murmuring and complaining and whining and doubting and their tongues robbed them of blessings because God, who wanted to extend His hand and show His power, was limited. I tell you what, I don't ever want to limit God. I want to release God. I never see anybody in the Bible rebuked for too much faith. I hear Jesus saying, where is your faith? Oh, ye of little faith, what's gone on with your faith? What's the matter with your faith? But I don't hear him saying to Simon Peter, what do you mean step out on the water? Are you crazy, boy? Only I can do that. No, he says, come on out, you can do it. And by faith, Peter stepped out. He did not limit the Holy One of Israel. I think so many times we limit God. By the things we say, we limit God. By the things that come out of our mouth, we limit God by unbelief. When all the while, God is wanting to show Himself powerful on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward Him. The Bible says He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask for or even imagine in our minds. That's what God wants to do. But they limited the Holy One of Israel only to... Out of the original one million descendants of Abraham delivered from Egypt, only two crossed the Jordan into the promised land. The plan of God was frustrated by the inability of His people to obey the requirements of His covenant. Scripture records their track record of failure, describing one backsliding after another, backsliding after another to remedy the situation. God tried several things. First, He gave them judges. 
like Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Yet as soon as the judge died, down they would slide again into the sin of idolatry and unbelief. Next, God gave them kings according to their own request, starting with Saul. Saul lost his walk with God and was replaced by David. Under David, things began to look promising. David carried Israel to a glorious position of wealth and power. And following David, his son Solomon took charge. Under his leadership, Israel reached what has been called the Golden Age. What one writer called a shining moment of tranquility in the long, tormented history of the Hebrews. When Solomon walked in and dedicated that glorious temple to God, it says the power of God fell so hard on that temple that it blasted people backward. No one in the temple could stand because of the manifestation of the power of God. So when Solomon dedicated that temple, it was the zenith of Israel's history. But then Solomon was seduced into idolatry by his foreign wives and allowed the worship of false gods to invade Israel. When he died, the king with a divided heart left a divided kingdom which split in two and incrementally, inexorably spiraled downward. Even though there were bright spots in Israel and Judah's history after that, they were the exception and not the rule. So first God used the patriarchs, then the judges, then the kings, and then finally he began to speak through the prophets. And the prophets became God's mouthpiece to his disobedient people. Through Ezekiel, for example, he testified to Israel her rebellion had gotten so bad he had turned them over to their sins. Through Jeremiah, God expressed his disgust with what he saw in Israel and he named it. Dishonest gains, shedding of innocent blood, oppression, and extortion. And through Jeremiah, God spoke to Israel to no avail. Through Zechariah, God cried, When I called my people, my people did not listen to me, but turned to their own way. Now remember, God told Abraham that he would be the father of a nation. That had become a reality. But here's my question to you. Were they a blessing to every family on earth? They weren't even blessed themselves. So they were missing the call of God because something was wrong. And here's what was wrong. The problem was that man's heart never, ever changed. No matter what God did, man's heart never changed. I've heard people talk who travel the world. I heard Billy Graham say this one time on one of his broadcasts. He said, I've been all over the world, to every nation on earth, to every people. And I have found one thing in every nation of the world. The heart of man is exactly the same. Even though God revealed himself cloud by day, fire by night, even though God parted the Red Sea, parted the Jordan, even though God gave them manna on the ground and constantly showed His power every day, yet their heart never changed. The problem was that man's heart never, ever changed. For God's promise to become a reality, mankind needed an internal overhaul. Unable to inwardly obey the commands of God, he needed to have a heart change. Because he, what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do right, he did wrong. The things that he knew God wanted, he couldn't do. And so the prophets of God all of a sudden began to talk about the moving 
of the Holy Spirit and a divine operation being performed on the hearts of men. God realized if my promise to Abraham is going to come to pass, I'm going to have to change them on the inside out. That's why I tell you, rehabilitation puts a new coat on a man, but transformation puts a new man in the coat. You can want to be right, want to do right, but what the Old Testament showed us more than anything else in the world was that no matter how hard we try, we cannot be righteous before God. So here comes Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says, here's what God is going to do. God's speaking through Ezekiel. God releases a plan, a part of his plan, and it's glorious. He said, I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out How many of you are glad that God reached in and took your old stony heart out and put a new spirit within you? And you see the prophets of God beginning to speak about this more and more and more as the Old Testament came to a close. In another place, Ezekiel said, and I love this, he said, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. I feel like he's telling me to go to the store and get some WD-40. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. You know what, folks? We don't have a crime problem in America. We don't have a drug problem in America. We've got a bigger problem than both of those. And it's a heart problem. And you know what America needs? Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Joel predicted this same thing when he wrote, It shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour my spirit on all flesh and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and when my spirit is poured out it's going to enter into the hearts of men and women and when my spirit touches your heart you're going to be changed from the inside out thank God for the moving of the Holy Spirit of God just this week I had phone calls from the radio program. People saying, man, I was just driving down the road. And all of a sudden that word was speaking to me. I've been away from God, but I pulled over to the side of the road and prayed with you to come back to Jesus. Thank God for the message that is out there. The Spirit of God is moving. And if we think it's only moving in church, we're crazy This should be a filling station. This should be a gas station where we fill up and go out and let it pour out into the highways and the hedges. We're not called to ask all of them to come here. That's what Pharisees do. Pharisees say, I've got it. Now you come and get it. But that's not the way Jesus operated. Jesus said, I've got it and I'm bringing it to you. As Malachi closed out, the Old Testament proved one thing. Mankind had to have a Savior. Mankind had to have a Savior. Without one, we would never be the nation of priests that would bless every family of the earth. So all of a sudden, 400 years of prophetic silence between Malachi and Matthew. And after four centuries, John the Baptist, standing on the River Jordan, points to a man and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he said that, a whole new day was ushered in because God had sent 
the Savior he said he would send in Genesis 3.15. John could just as easily have said, Behold, the bruiser of Satan's head. Behold, your provider. Behold, your healer. Behold, your deliverer. Behold, the one who's going to carry you to glory. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sins. God sent Jesus and Jesus began to preach. And I understand this now. He said, you have to be born again. You're going to have to be born again. You must be born again. And Nicodemus, an old teacher of the law, listening to him, was perplexed, scratched his head and said, what do you mean born again? How can I, can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, you're going to have to be born of the Spirit. If you're not changed on the inside, God is never going to have His nation of people who will offer up sacrifices of praise and who will live the life He wants them to live. You're going to have to have a heart transplant. You're going to have to be changed. Doesn't matter if you've never had a traffic ticket. Doesn't matter if you're respected by the community. Nicodemus was just that way. But he told that old man, you're going to have to be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. You've got to have a heart change. Once Born once, you're dead in sins. Born twice, you're alive in Christ. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. Born twice, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Born once, you're a child of the devil. Jesus said that. Born twice, you're a child of the king. Born once, you're groping in spiritual darkness. Born twice, you're walking in the light. We've got to be born again. How does it happen? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. And the Spirit of God enters you and gives you a new heart and takes away the stony heart that resisted God and rebelled against God. It's a divine surgery. It is a holy operation, but it changes you forever. Now I noticed as I was getting ready for this message, I was reading Jesus' words. And as he approached the cross, he spoke more and more and more about the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he said. I pray the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Now listen to this. He dwells with you as long as you've followed me around on the earth. He has dwelled with us, but he will be in you. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you and he will glorify me. Now here's where I'm going with this. God wanted a people who would offer up worship to Him. He wanted a nation of priests. He knew it wasn't going to happen by the power of the flesh. So God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change you. I'm going to give you a new nature. And then I'm going to place within you my Holy Spirit. And when He comes into you, He's going to glorify me through your life. And though you weren't a worshiper before and you weren't a praiser before, He's going to turn you into one who worships and praises me. It is so natural for a child of God to praise the Lord outside of church. He wants you to praise Him in rush hour traffic. 
He wants you to praise Him when you get those bills in the mail you didn't know were coming. He wants you to praise Him when you were going a little quick and the cop pulled you over, had no mercy, and gave you a ticket anyway. He doesn't want you driving away grumbling. He wants you to drive away and say, Lord, I just praise you in this. I'm not going to let this get me down. We are to praise the power of God into our problems because we are a nation of priests. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus told his disciples just before his ascension into heaven, don't even think about going into Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, for you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you will receive power, power, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me after he comes upon you in Fort Worth, in Texas, and in all the United States and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So this is not the only place that we come and worship God. This isn't the only place we sing a song to the Lord. We ought to wake up on Monday morning and say, Praise you, Lord. I bless your holy name. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We're so used to turning in to Katie instead of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Katie may be cute, but she won't edify you in the Holy Ghost. You need to touch God in the morning by praising Him. Good preaching, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to get this tape. What was God after with the coming of Christ? A nation of priests and witnesses of His love through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. As soon as the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says people were gathered from every nation on the earth. And here's what they said. We hear them. We hear them. Speaking in our own tongues. The wonderful works of the Lord. What did people do the minute the Holy Spirit them, they began to declare the wonderful works of God. The early church described as those who were daily praising God, daily praising God, daily praising God, and having favor with all the people. Now it makes so much more sense when you hear Peter saying, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And you are a set-aside people that you would declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light because you are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. His nation is in the Spirit. And He wants us to declare His glory. Amen? Amen. And so when you get up, pause to praise. Throughout the day, think to thank the Lord. Worship Him, and you will walk in the Spirit of God. And people will say, what is it that you have that I don't have? You don't seem like me. Why are you weird? Well, weird in their eyes, but normal. Because normal people praise God. You know, show me a flock of birds that don't fly. And that's how weird it is for humans to not praise God. A bird was born to fly. Dogs were born to bark. People were born to praise God. So you ought to praise Him all week long. 
Walk into church overflowing with what God ministered to you during your praise time. Wisdom will come to you. Direction will come to you. His guidance will come to you. Strength will come to you. Healing will come to those who praise God. So can we stand together right now in the house of God? And let's praise the Lord. Can we just take a minute? And I don't want you to be intimidated. Just say, Lord, I just want to enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Let's just pause to praise and thank to thank. Let's take a minute to bless the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has called us to be a nation of priests. And as priests, we are to offer worship to God. And so right now, Lord, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We will to worship. We are thinking to thank. We're pausing to praise you. We don't want to be like Israel who walked away in unbelief, but we want to praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can you just begin to praise him for a minute? Go ahead and just bless the Lord with your soul and all that is within you. Bless his holy name. Thank you, Lord.